you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 21. And as you're making your way to that passage, let me say, Joseph, thank you. Um, You have been ever so gracious to our family through the years. So kind, and thank you very much. Jim, um, I learned so much from you at First Pres. And I, I, I thank you that you have been a model and a mentor to me. And then I just want to echo what, was, what Joseph said just a moment ago. Many of you I do not know, but many of you I do. And, and you have been on, in our hearts all along. You have loved us well. You have prayed for us well. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your kindness to our family through the years. This is indeed a, a beautiful facility and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for ministry and I'm so encouraged to see where you are at this moment. What I want to work through this morning is what Jesus is not only doing in your congregation, but I want you to realize again what Jesus is doing in your life as well. And that's why we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And this is a very familiar passage for many of you because this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It's essentially Paul's prayer for you. Let's read what the Lord would say to us this morning. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on earth has derived its name, that according to the riches of His glory that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we pray that you be with us this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to understand your Holy Word. And Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning and instruct us in the path of holiness, instruct us in the path of righteousness. And Father, we thank you for the grace that you have given to us. And Father, we pray that as we continue to worship and study and sing and praise, that Lord, you're bringing us more and more into conformity with your Son, Jesus. Pray. Amen. Beloved, it was a number of years ago that Sally and I had the opportunity to travel to southern Germany, and we went to Berchtesgarden. And you'll remember that Berchtesgarden was Adolf Hitler's retreat during World War II. Now, we, we got to Berchtesgarden about 11 o'clock at night. It was, it was raining. It was a damp night. It was a dreary night. It was a cold night. It was... It was rather disorienting to us. We weren't really sure where we were. We had trouble finding the path. We had trouble finding the key. We had trouble finding the door. And then finally we made it into our hotel room and we bedded down for the night. And the next morning um, I arose, so to speak, and I realized that there was a, a curtain on the other side of the room 
and I wanted to get my bearings. I wanted to have a feeling or, or, or an understanding of where I was at that moment. And so I, I flung the curtain open. And, and what was before me was stunning. Because what was before me were the Swiss Alps, the snow-covered Swiss Alps in all of her glory. It was so stunning that I actually took a step backward. And I just sat there in awe of God and His creation. And my heart was melted by the glory of God. I share that with you. Because when our heart is melted by the glory of God in the context of worship, it is then and only then that we fundamentally begin to understand what it means to experience the love of Christ in our hearts and lives. And so this morning, I want you to feel and understand not only the glory of God, but I want you to feel and to understand and to sense um, the love of God in your lives. Because God has not saved you to be moral. He has not saved you. He's not turning you into something that is simply a nice person. God is calling you to be a child of God rooted in the love and the wisdom and the providence of God. God is calling you into a remarkable spirituality. And in essence, God is calling you into a spirit-empowered spirituality. And these are the things that we're talking about this morning. As we move through this text, I want you to realize there's three signposts that I want you to understand. The first one is the Father. The second one is the Christ. And the third one is the fullness. The Father, the Christ, the fullness. Again, let's go back and let's read our Bibles and let's see what God would say to us in this moment. Look in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is praying for the spiritual health of the, of the Ephesians. He's bowing his knees before the Father. And the very fact that he's bowing his knees before the Father, this is a state of humility and worship and adoration. He recognizes the importance of worship. He recognizes the importance of prayer. But he also recognizes the importance of humility. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about humility. He said, it's a blessed self-forgetfulness. We're finally done with ourselves. And we're finally embracing Christ and the richness and the fullness of who He is. And God is calling us to be men and women of real humility. He's calling us to understand what it means to walk humbly before Him. A friend of mine put it this way, the characteristic of spirituality is humility because when a man or woman is humble, it is then and only then that they're teachable. And so Paul starts from, the status, from his status point of humility and he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And notice this word before. It's a preposition and, and it literally means this, that Paul sees himself as in face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. He is demonstrating an intimate relationship with the Father. And then he cries out to Him as Father. And Paul is recognizing that God is not only a great King, but Paul is recognizing that God is His Father. 
He's his father by virtue of his creation over him. And he's his father by virtue of redemption and reconciliation. Beloved, God is a king who sits on a throne and God is a king who is also a father and he knows how to give good and precious gifts to his children. He's the judge. He's the justifier. He's the father. Remember the passage in Revelation chapter 4. John is writing, After this I looked and behold a door standing in heaven and the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must soon take place after this. Then verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and there was one who was seated on the throne. We have a God who is a Father. We have a Father who sits on a throne. Are you not aware that there's a heaven? Are you not aware that there's a throne room in heaven? Aren't you aware that there's a throne in the throne room in heaven and that God right now is sitting on His throne? And He is ruling planet Earth, if not the entire universe. Beloved, His sovereignty beams throughout His creation. And His His providence radiates over every single thing that He has ever created his sovereign is his, his sovereignty is his holy undiluted power and his providence is his foreseen love and care for his children. And you see, it's in this passage. Paul has an understanding of this. And Paul, that's why Paul is crying out to him as father. J.I. Packer put it this way. The sum of all New Testament theology is simply this, that God is our Father. And, and how is it that we know, that we're, that we're beginning to understand that, that God is our Father? It is when we're beginning to realize that He is involved in all the aspects of life. How do you know that you're beginning to recognize the fatherhood of God in your life? Because you're walking intimately with Him. You're beginning to obey joyfully in Him. And you are finally beginning to understand what it means to to pray with expectation. I have a friend in Memphis who a number of years ago said to his wife as they're walking around East Memphis, and he said this, My faith is not working for me. I have a deity, but I don't have a daddy. Remember that passage in Galatians chapter 4 that the Spirit of God has moved and now we have the privilege of crying out to God as Abba, Father. Beloved, if you have Jesus in your life, you're recognizing His sheer holiness and and the, and the magnificent righteousness that belongs to Him that He has given to us. 
But if you have Jesus in your life, and I mean this most respectfully, most respectfully, then you have a deity who is becoming a father to you. You see, Paul is understanding this at this point. Now notice as we continue to move through the passage, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth has derived its name, that according to the riches of His glory that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, through the riches of His glory that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. God is ministering to you out of His wealth. Out of all that He is, out of His wealth, out of His resources, God is moving into your life through the work of His Spirit and He is ministering to you because He wants you, notice the word, He wants you to be strengthened with power. Have you felt the philanthropic hand of God in your life? Have you? God ministering to you out of His wealth? God ministering to you out of the greatness of His grace? God ministering to you out of the magnificence of His mercy? God, in light of His communicable and incommunicable attributes, moved into your life through the person of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and God is making the infinite real. And He's bringing you deeply into a relationship with Him. You see... He says His Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that applies to believers the personal power and the presence of God and that He's actually ministering to your inner being. What does that mean? Your inner being means simply this, beloved, that you have a soul and God is ministering to you in light of your soul. C.S. Lewis said this, and it's a little bit of an overreach theologically, but I like what Lewis says because it's, it, it causes us to think about the soul that we have within us. And Lewis says this, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, and what you have is a body. Okay, a little bit of an overreach, I understand that, but I want you to understand this soul that you have within you. And that God the Father, in light of His sovereign grace, is ministering to you and administering to your soul and strengthening your soul and reminding you of the infinite. And reminding you not to take the short-term view of life, but to take the long-term view of life because heaven awaits us. The passage continues, and he says this. He says that according to the riches of His glory that He may grant you, this is verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His, inner, through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 
Now, this alone is a remarkable reality that Christ dwells in my heart by faith. That if you're a believer this morning, Christ dwells in your heart by faith. And we remember that passage that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. These are two themes that we read throughout the New Testament. We are in Christ and He is in us. John Calvin said this, and what we're talking about at this point is our union with Christ. And our union with Christ is reciprocal in its nature. We are in Christ. He is in us. Both of those are true at the exact same time. Indeed, a high and holy mystery. But Paul reminds us of these things and the things that he's written. John Calvin said this, Our union with Christ is the highest degree of importance if we're ever to understand our justification correctly. John Murray said this, Our our union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It is not simply a phrase of the application of redemption. It underlies every single aspect of our redemption. And then Lewis Meads said this, Our union with Christ, it is at once the center and the circumference of authentic human experience. It is the center and the circumference of an authentic human experience. God the Father ministering to us out of the wealth of who He is, strengthening us, enabling us, so that as we come to the second signpost, we begin to understand Jesus, we begin to understand Christ, we begin to understand that He is the one who is dwelling within our hearts by faith. Have you contemplated your soul? Have you contemplated the value of your soul? Beloved, have you contemplated that what Paul is saying here is so right that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith? And then notice what happens next. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, verse 17. Then we have a dash there. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, Paul wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. What does it mean that we're rooted? That if if Ephesians 1 is right, and we believe that it is. If Romans 8 is right, and we believe that it is. That before the world was ever formed, before the world was ever created, God knew us, God loved us, God chose us that we should be holy and blameless. Beloved, you are more rooted in eternity than you can ever dare imagine. You are more rooted in the love of God. 
Your identity is so rooted in the gospel. It is so rooted in eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. You are so rooted in who God is that it really begins to shape and form the very person that we are now and even into eternity. But then Paul says this, not only are you rooted in love, but you're also grounded in love. And in what way are we grounded in love? We're grounded in love in this way. We're grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ. Matthew one twenty one. you will call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Romans 8.1, for there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, your sins are forgiven. You understand that? I have a psychologist friend in Memphis and he said this, I could dismiss half my patients if they just understood the gospel and their sins are truly forgiven. So we're rooted in Christ. We're rooted in His love. We're grounded in His love. And then he, he continues to move through the text and He says that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and length and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Beloved, here's, here's the concept in verse 18. This word comprehend, it means to seize and it means to grasp with the mind. It means to know as in just raw knowledge, one times one, two times two. But then there's another phrase here. Strength to comprehend, and in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. You see, to comprehend is to grasp, but to know is to have a personal experience with the knowledge. It is is fundamentally an experiential knowledge. When I was a young child, I remember sitting at at the dining room table and my mother hammering the multiplication tables into my head. It was unpleasant for everyone in the family. And, you know, one times one, two, and I'm not going to do the equals because I'll probably miss one and then y'all will laugh. But one times one, two times two, three times three, four by four, four, uh, four times four. And ladies and gentlemen, through raw determination and memorization, I got it. But I didn't understand it. And so two days later, my mom comes into the kitchen and she has her hands behind her back and she goes, Edward? I say, yes, ma'am. And she holds out two apples. And she goes, two what? And I go, two times? Right. Two times two. And she says, is what? I went, Four. And a big smile came on my face and I went, oh, I I get it. It's four. Beloved, do you know Jesus? But second is, have you really comprehended who he is? 
Do you know him as the Jesus of the History Channel or do you know him personally, intimately in the same way that Paul is calling us to know him personally and intimately? Because here's the reality and I'll stop with this. The very closing line of the verse that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, that's what Jesus has for us. And that fullness is not eschatological in terms of heaven. That fullness is now. Of course it's eschatological, but of course it's now. It's the now and not yet. Both are true at the same time. It's one of the complexities of the gospel, right? And so God is calling us to a real fullness in this life through the work of the Holy Spirit, through our studies of the Scriptures, as we walk intimately with Jesus, intimately with the Spirit, and intimately with our God, who is our Father. I want to call you, I charge you to embrace the fullness of God in your life. I charge you to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I charge you to read the Scriptures and pray that the Scriptures will be incorporated in you. And I charge you to stay the course. Remember the Patriot? Colonel Burwell? Benjamin Martin? The battle's at an important point. And Burwell says this, stay the course. Highlands Presbyterian Church, Stay the course. And the course is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in light of the gospel of God that is greater than we ever dared imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Where would we be if we did not have your truth? Now, enable us through the work of your Holy Spirit to accomplish all that you have for us in this moment, in this year, and in the first 10,000 years of heaven. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.